The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, good morning, Summit Church. Thank you so much for joining us online, wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your world. I love that you took the time today to engage with us. And I just, I believe that this message is important for all of us to hear. We're just continuing to plug our way through the book of Philippians uh, as we enter into the month of August and we're all trying to figure out back to school and what it looks like. I think one of the things that we can always do is return to the word of God and just know that within its pages, within its verses, there are truths there that will lead and guide us no matter what's happening within our world. And today, specifically, we see the personal nature of the book of Philippians. The personal nature, meaning that Paul was very clear with how he felt, what was going on within his life, the the hope that he had to get back to the church in Philippi, even though he was in prison in Rome. And today our passage at the end of chapter 2, Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30, there are two companions of Paul highlighted. We have Timothy and Epaphroditus who are both spoken about very specifically in this passage and we see why. They both possess the mindset of Christ. They are servants of the Lord. They're servants of people. They are humble and they possess that mindset that we spoke about two weeks ago. It's a powerful, powerful look at a biographical section within the book of Philippians that I think speaks volumes to us today as to what it means to be a servant. How do we serve? Why do we serve? What does that look like? How can we do so in our culture, in our context today? But before we jump in, just a couple things I want to say about this text. One, we are setting a new record for our study through the book of Philippians. We're going to cover 11 verses today. So that's a new record for how many verses we're going to cover. We're going to break it next week when we jump into chapter 3 and cover 16. So it'll be a short-lived record, but we are going to speed up a little bit for the next two weeks. The second thing that I want to say is that when you go to Bible college, they teach you, you have multiple classes in preaching, and they teach you there's three types of sermons. There are topical sermons where you pick a subject and go find the verses that speak to that. There are exegetical sermons, which is what we do here at Summit, where you just go through the Bible and whatever the verses say, that's what you speak about. But then there's a third type of sermons that you learn about in Bible college. They're called biographical sermons. So you take a character within the Bible, like a David or a Paul, and you just kind of study their life. And one of the things I remember from Bible college is our professor saying, you can never combine these two. It always has to be one type of sermon. You can't do a topical that's exegetical. You can't do a biographical that's topical. You can't really do that. It's one or the other. And there was always this challenge that we had as students saying, hey, what if, what if we were able to figure out how to do it? And no one ever went to this passage. If anyone had ever come to this passage, this is a biographical sermon about two people, but we're going to do it exegetically. So to my professor in college, Nana Nana Boo Boo, here we go, a biographical exegetical sermon from Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 through 30. The first biography that we're going to look at is for Timothy, Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So I'm going to send him so that he can bring me news back about you. I have no one else like him. What a great 
praise. He will genuinely show concern for your welfare, for everyone else looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things are going to go for me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will get to come soon to you in Philippi. So let, let's start here by looking first at Paul's plans for Timothy. What, what does he want Timothy to do? Well, one, he wants to send Timothy as soon as possible to the church in Philippi. Paul is in prison in Rome. Philippi is 800 miles away. We've covered this before. So that's a long journey, but Timothy's going to go check in on the church. Verse 23 shows us that I can't send him. I can't let him go until I I know for sure what's going to happen to me. One of the things I want him to come to you and do is express to you what's going to happen to me. So Paul is waiting to appeal to Caesar, his conviction from almost a year and a half earlier. He's waiting for that meeting. A couple things can happen. One, he could be released immediately, and then he may join Timothy coming back to Philippi with him. Two, he could be in prison for a longer period of time. Or three, worst case scenario, he could be executed. And he's not sure which one of those outcomes is going to happen, but he's confident, he's hopeful that he too will get to come to Philippi soon. So once Timothy knows a little bit more about what's going to happen with Paul, he plans to return to Philippi. The second thing that Paul wants to do with Timothy, I hope that he can bring me back good news about you so that I will be cheered up. The, the purpose of the 800-mile trip, the 1,600-mile round trip, is that he'll go see what's happening there in Philippi, come back and report to Paul going, hey, they're killing it. They're doing an amazing job at spreading the gospel. They are working for the kingdom of God. They are unified in their passion for the kingdom. They are unified in their relationships with one another. That's the hope that Paul has about this church. And I just can't imagine as a church planter, someone who started Summit did this, I can't imagine as a church planter how amazing it would be to be separated from your church but get to send a trusted companion back and then that companion returns you and goes, man, they're doing it. They're doing it well. They are absolutely fulfilling the purpose, the mission, the vision that you instilled in them years ago. They're doing that and they're doing it amazingly. Now, Paul says in verse 24, his personal desire to come visit also. But I love the faith and the obedience that Paul has in this. I mean, it, it's, it's so clear. He says, hey, I'm confident in the Lord that I will get to come see you. But in reality, I'm not sure what my circumstance is going to be. James actually writes about this in James chapter 4, verses 13 and 15. This is the encouragement that he gives to followers of Jesus. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, we'll make money. Why do you not even know? Why? Why do you do that? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, here's what you should do. You ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I love Paul's faith. Hey, I, I want to come. 
This is my desire. This is my passion. This is what I intend to do. But if it's the Lord's will for me to visit this city and stay there for a few weeks or a few months or whatever, then, then that's great. But I understand that my life is not my own. It was bought with a price. I could be poured out like a drink offering tomorrow. That's the language that Paul uses. That could happen and I'd be okay with that. So I'm not promising you that I'm coming. I'm just saying, if it's the Lord's will, then I would love, love to come visit you. Why did Paul choose Timothy? Why is Timothy set apart as a spiritual son in the faith, as one who Paul trusts? Why did he do that? There's some answers to that in these verses. Number one being, he possesses the mind of Christ, his humility, his lack of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is what Timothy possesses, and that's why he can be a servant of the gospel. He possesses the mind of Christ. In verse 20, to, for Paul to say, I have no one else like him, he actually shows genuine care because he doesn't look out for his own interests. That is what Paul's been laying out all through chapter 2 in the book of Philippians. The mindset of Christ enables us to produce unity and find joy. It allows us to serve the Lord and others out of a genuine place of care and concern because we say it's not about us. It's not about me. That's what set Timothy apart. But there's some more specific things. Timothy had a fondness for the church in Philippi. We don't necessarily see that written out here in Philippians chapter 2, but if we go look in Acts chapter 16, and we'll look at it a little bit more here in a moment, but if we go look at Acts chapter 16, Philippi would have been the first church that Timothy went to with Paul. Paul picks up Timothy on his way to Philippi. So your first church, your, your first missionary journey with Paul, your first endeavor into planting, that, that's what Philippi is to Timothy. So it has to hold a special, special place in his heart. He wants to return and to speak to the people that he's known for years now and see how they're doing. But another main reason why Paul chooses Timothy for this task. Why, why he can trust Timothy is because Timothy has proven himself faithful in the past. He's proven himself faithful. Paul says that in verse 22. But specifically, Timothy has already done a journey like this to Corinth. So Paul's been in prison and he's been sending Timothy out who's still free. Hey, go check on this church. Hey, go check on this church. Well, the first church that Paul sent Timothy to was the church in Corinth. And here's what Paul says in the letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Once again, just great words. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. He's coming with the reminder of what I already taught you, but I trust him because he's faithful. Now, at the end of this message, once we've looked at these two men, we're going to start to piece together what it looks like to be a true servant and that's one of the things that I just want to point out right now. It's, it's faithfulness. It's faithfulness to be trusted with the task that has been given to you by God, or in this case, by Paul. Let's look at Epaphroditus next. Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. 
But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. I can't let Timothy go just yet because, because he needs to wait to see what's going to happen with me. But I'm going to send back to you Epaphroditus, who you sent to me first, and he's going to be my first messenger. Verse 26 For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. 27, indeed, he was ill. He almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Now, it is rare for us to think about someone dying in the service of the Lord and say, oh, that would have been terrible. And then to go, and it would have been really bad for me. It would have been really, really hard on me. I would have sorrow upon sorrow. And when I first read that, I was like, that is selfish. This dude almost dies coming to serve you. And you're like, it would have really hurt my heart if he died. But here's what I came to the conclusion of. Paul knows that had Epaphroditus died, he'd be with Jesus He'd be fine. There's no reason to worry about him. But Paul would have been crushed that this dude came to Rome to bring him a gift. And in doing so, he caught an illness that killed him. It would have crushed Paul. So I see now, I think, what he is saying. He says in verse 28, Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety about him dying here. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, servants like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourself could not give me. He filled in the gap for you, Church of Philippi. He was the one willing to come. He was the one who showed up. He was the one who brought your gift, and I appreciate your gift. And now I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending him back to you healthy, even though it got sketchy there for a moment. I'm sending him back, and I'm going to have him bring to you this letter, this letter of encouragement that will hopefully bring you joy. So who is Epaphroditus? Well, verse 25 gives us the clearest indication. He's a brother in Christ. He's a co-worker in sharing with the gospel, and he's a fellow soldier battling for the Lord. Those are pretty strong acknowledgments. He's part of the family. He, he gets it. We've linked arms together. We're in this together. We work together. We're, we're co-laborers for the same purpose, for the same gospel. And he's a messenger. He's a messenger. That's just in verse 25. We can glean a few more things One, he had a great love and concern for his brothers and sisters back in Philippi because they'd heard about how sick he got and he didn't want them to worry about him. He was selfless. I need to get back and show them I'm okay because if they're concerned, I don't want them to be concerned anymore. I was serving the Lord and it's good. It's all good now. I'm fine and I want to get back and I want to let them see that. He's a selfless person. We can glean that. He's set on bringing compassion and joy 
to those in need. And, and that's why he volunteered. Hey, uh, if someone needs to travel 800 miles to go encourage Paul, our, our church planter, our apostle, if someone needs to do that, I'll go. I'll, I'll be that one. I'll go. I'm fine with that. I'll, I'll take the risk. I'll take the gift. I'll, I'll fill in the gaps. He was selfless. He wanted to bring compassion and joy to those in need. Even if it almost cost him his life, he was still fine with doing that. And he too, just like Timothy, because of these things, he possessed the mindset of Christ. He possessed the mindset of Christ. So we have two great servants of the Lord listed here. Two great servants of the Lord with characteristics that we can learn from and apply to our lives to be able to see what this text is teaching us. But the main thing, the main thing that they both possessed and the main thing that if we desire to be servants of the Lord, the main thing that we must possess is the mindset of Christ. So looking at both of them, and now going to the practical side of this message, how do we become great servants of the Lord? What does it take to be a great servant of the Lord? I've pulled out only four of the things from this text. There are many more, but I've pulled out four to just try to make the application as simple as possible. So here we go. Number one, to be a great servant of the Lord, you need to show genuine concern for the welfare and the interests of others. You need to put others' interests ahead of your own. You need to show genuine concern and care for the welfare and the interest of others. And this needs to be done time and time and time again. It's not just a one-time thing. Anyone can be compassionate once. But to make this your mindset, to make this your lifestyle, that allows you to be a great servant. The second thing that I see from these two men is you need to be a great co-worker. I can't tell you the number of times that I have heard people say, I'm not passionate about serving because I feel like I'm the only one passionate about serving. And that makes no sense to me until I unpack what they're really saying. I feel like I'm alone in this. I am passionate about these things and I want to give my life away to them, but it seems like I'm yelling and no one else is coming with me. It seems like I'm working and no one else is working with me. And then what happens? It's called burnout. You get discouraged. And you say, if no one else cares, then neither do I. To be a great servant, you need like-minded people around you who desire the same things that you do. And when I say the same things, I mean the kingdom of God, the advancement of his mission, the helping of those who need help, those who are oppressed, those who need to have voice spoken for them. All of the stuff that the New Testament speaks of, whatever your passion is, link arms with other people who are like-minded, who have the mindset of Christ with you, but who are like-minded and serve alongside them so as to not burn out these like-minded brothers served together beside Paul and they would have done anything because they understood their mission and their purpose. Now, number three, be cool with every opportunity the Lord gives you. Every opportunity that the Lord gives you. Epaphroditus was asked to take a gift to Paul. And he said, I'm in. An 800-mile journey that somewhere along the way or once he arrived, he contracted an illness and almost died. 
I think a lot of times, I think a lot of times we look at the opportunities that the Lord gives us and go, well, I can't do that. This opportunity exists, but I can't do that. I can't just pack up and go. I, and, and I understand there are absolutely limitations within our lives. There's things that we just can't stop doing. But, but church, please, nothing is below you. If you want to be a great servant, if I want to be a great servant, I can't look at the opportunities that are right in front of me and go, yeah, but that wasn't the opportunity I wanted. That, that wasn't what I was really thinking about, Lord. I, I wanted to work with this specific group of people on this night of the week for 30 minutes. I think that's how we have institutionalized and maybe even Americanized service within the church. We're not really wanting to be servants. We're wanting to check a box. We're, we're wanting to say, I did something to say that I did something. That's not the heart of a servant. That's not someone who possesses the mindset of Christ. No, that, that's just someone who wants to feel good about themselves. We need to be okay. We need to be cool with whatever opportunities the Lord puts in front of us. When I was in youth ministry, I, I learned this lesson the hard way because I handled it so poorly. Uh, I was on staff at a church, but I was the associate youth pastor. And we took 200 students to camp one year. 200 students going to camp. And the camp we went to was in Tahlequah, from Norman to Tahlequah. So it wasn't that far. We had four charter buses, dozens of leaders. I mean, it was, it was a pretty big deal. And the youth pastor, the guy above me, he left the night before to go down and to set up the camp. And I said, okay, that's fine. And so then that morning, I'm in charge of registering 200 students. I'm in charge of making sure they all get on their bus. I'm in charge of handling all their parents. I, I, have, I have, you know, the medicine's going in this thing, and then we got to make sure all the forms are there. And then so we pull up to camp, and, and the youth pastor's just waving and smiling, and it's like, hey, man, how, like, how's it been? He's like, it was great. We went and ate pizza last night. You know, we, we slept in. It was so fun. And I remember being so furious. I was so mad. I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I, this has been one of the hardest mornings of my life, and you're just chilling down here because you left earlier. And his response to me didn't help. He goes, well, that's what you get to do when you're in my role. And that, that damaged our relationship for a long time. But during that week, as you're worshiping and hearing the word and you're immersed, and I, the Lord told me clearly, like, man, you got to be okay with doing the job that no one else wants to do. If, if you're going to be in ministry, if you're going to be a servant, you got to be okay with that. And if you're not okay with that, that's not on the person who asked you to do it. That's on you. Timothy and Epaphroditus, they would have done whatever was asked of them because they were servants. They were servants of the Lord. And what I think is pretty cool, Epaphroditus, you maybe never even heard that name before. He got six verses in the New Testament. Six verses for being willing to carry a gift to Paul and then take a message back. He's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. He was a servant. He wasn't looking for the recognition. He just wanted to give. And then the fourth thing that I see here is look for serving opportunities that show compassion and bring joy to others. Use your empathy. Listen to your heart, your soul, the, the spirit, what, whatever you want to call it. When you see injustice, when you see a need, respond. That's what a great servant does. They don't wait to be asked. They don't wait to be told. They just see the world around them and they seek to serve. 
Look for serving opportunities around you because I promise you they abound. I promise you they exist. We as a church, we'll put them in front of you from time to time, but don't even wait for that. If you see a need, fill it. Serve. So there's two great servants who radically impacted the people around them. A couple questions for you. As you just look at your own life and, and your desire to serve or your lack thereof. So just a couple questions. How can you be like Timothy and Epaphroditus this week? How can you do what they did? Those four things. How can you apply them to your life this week? I want you to start to look for those opportunities. I want you to listen to your, to your inner spirit speaking and, and the empathy and the compassion that you have, and I want you to react. I want you to do whatever is asked of you, regardless of whether you think it's beneath you or above you. I, I want you to do these things. How can you do that this week? Number two, who in your life do you need to serve? Who do you personally need to serve? Is there a neighbor? Is there a coworker? Is there a family member? Is there someone that you need to serve? And if so, commit this week to serve them. And then finally, make sure you're doing this from the right mindset. So I, I put the action steps first, but the heart really actually comes first. Make sure you're doing this from the right, the right mindset. Otherwise, otherwise, you will lose the joy that comes from serving. And there is joy. Many of you can attest to this. You can say, amen, there's joy that comes from serving. But if you're not doing it with the right mindset, it's just work. It's just labor that will tire you out, that will frustrate you. But with the right mindset, serving brings you great joy. And my hope, church, is that we are a people that because of how we were served by God, that we want to serve others. That's my hope. That's my prayer. So the challenge then this week is be people willing to serve. Be people who possess the mindset of Christ that desire to let that be lived out in the way that they love and serve others around them. It will make a difference. It will have a kingdom impact and it will glorify God. We learned from two great ones today, two great servants. Now may we be great servants also. Father, help us. Help us to see the love that you've given us and how immense that is. And may we be then drawn into service of you for your glory, for your purpose. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you're doing. Let us hear this word and now apply it to our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.